The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. This is chapter 6 this afternoon, so I invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We're making our way through this book and about the halfway point now. Ecclesiastes 6, we're looking at the whole chapter. Be reminded again, this is the Word of God. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many. But his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good? Do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives a few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word we have just heard. May he now add his blessing to it. Well, sometimes all it takes is missing one piece or one part to something, and you essentially end up with nothing. So consider missing a part of a car, say a serpentine belt. Well, you basically have an inoperable car. Uh, you can have all the ingredients for bread, but miss the ingredient of yeast, and you're going to have a, a glob of whatever not going to even rise. You can go on a hunt, but if you forget to grab your rifle, I don't know this from experience, but if you forget to grab your rifle on the way out, you end up just having a camping trip. And all it takes is missing one thing 
one major thing, but you have everything else, then you can essentially end up with nothing. And this is what Solomon is saying in this passage today. Solomon speaks of those who have it all, but lack one thing resulting in it being essentially nothing. And that one crucial key, that one crucial ingredient that is lacking is contentment or satisfaction. Without satisfaction or contentment, you can have the whole world and essentially have nothing. And what we see from this is that contentment or satisfaction is not tied necessarily to what one has, the blessings in life, but rather it is a gift from God. And so we're going to look at three areas that are nothing without contentment. The first is this, blessings. And we begin with a man who gains much blessings, but then loses them before he has the chance to enjoy them. You see that in verses 1 through 2, where Solomon says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. So Solomon starts with an evil. And the, this is evil not in the sense of a moral failure, how things should not be according to God's moral law, but this is evil in the sense of a broader use. When Scripture says evil, sometimes it uses it in a broader sense like it's doing here. In the sense of this is not the way it should be because of the sin-cursed world. That's what he's referring to here. It's a tragedy. It's a trial. It's suffering. It's difficulty. It happens because we live in a sin-cursed world. And what he's talking about is something that is heavy on mankind. It could be weighty, but it likely means it's something that happens to everyone. And that is God giving wealth, possessions, and honor to someone so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. And yet there's one ingredient missing. God does not give him the power to enjoy it. And so we see that God has power over both. Not only in receiving the possessions, but also the power to enjoy them. So we saw from the previous passage in Ecclesiastes 5, 18-20. It's a gift of God both to receive blessings and to enjoy them. Now in this case, the man has... These things, but something happens to them where he loses them before he has the chance to enjoy them. We don't know what that is. We're not told. But a number of things really can happen. Perhaps the man dies, and all these things go to a stranger he never knew. Perhaps a thief breaks in and steals his property. Perhaps he has a bad business venture, and now he's in so much debt that he needs to sell his possessions to those he doesn't even know in order to compensate for that. And the same is true in our day. A number of things can go wrong where we had something and we lose it. And this is a particular hardship. It's one thing to want something, but you know it's a pipe dream. I'm never going to have that. But it's another thing to have a good chance at having it. It's, it's, in, it's just within your reach, but you don't get it. That you're one of two candidates for winning an award. It comes with a lot of money. And then the award is announced to the other candidate. 
Oh, it was so close. It was within my reach. This is a particularly sour difficulty. But then, to have it be yours, the documents are signed over to you, so to speak, and you have it in your possession, but then before you have a chance to lose or to, to use it, you lose it. That is a particularly difficult hardship. Brand new car, sporty car, parking in the driveway, it's delivered to you, and a tree falls on it or something like that. Stuff like this happens all the time. It's only in God's power to give and take away, not ours, and to enjoy it. Another way that we might lack the missing ingredient of contentment is by having these things the whole time. They're never taken away from us, and yet still not enjoy them. We see that in verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. So in the ancient Near East, children, many children were rightly considered a blessing. And so were living many days. These are the two top things that they wanted and coveted in the ancient Near East. Children and long life. And we see somebody here who has that. And in an obvious hyperbole or exaggeration to make a point, he has a hundred children. And in verse 6, it says he lives a thousand years twice over. Two thousand years this man lives. The longest life. Many children. He has the most coveted blessings maximally. This is a man that an ancient Near Eastern would desire. But he still lacks. It says that his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. See that in verse 3. His soul is not satisfied. He has life's good things, but his soul is still not satisfied. And for whatever reason, he doesn't have a burial. That is an honorable burial, which is something very important back then. Solomon says that it is better to be a stillborn than to have this and not be satisfied. A stillborn is one who was born dead. And this is a hard saying to hear. Why Some commentators say that this is perhaps one of the darkest chapters in the entire Bible. Why is it better to be a stillborn in this situation? Well, verses 4 through 5. For it comes in vanity, goes in darkness, and in darkness his name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything. Yet it finds rest rather than he. So while this child does enter into the realm of vanity, which is our world, yet it does not experience any of it. It goes in darkness, which means that its eyes have not seen the light of day. As verse 5 says, it did not see the sun or know experientially anything. And its name is covered in darkness. It never has a known name. It doesn't have an enduring legacy in this life. And yet, it finds rest rather than the man who has it all and has life to the fullest, and yet his soul does not find rest. His soul is not satisfied. I think it's just as a side note, I should say this because I'm sure everyone, or at least most, are thinking about this. Uh, I think it's statements like these 
a child finding rest that seem to indicate or imply that uh, infants do go to heaven. How could the Bible say that the child has found rest if it immediately went to hell afterwards? And there's other statements in the Bible that also seem to indicate this, the most popular of which is 2 Samuel 12, where David, after the child dies, stops mourning. And how can you stop mourning if you know the child uh, went to judgment afterwards? And he says that while the child's not coming back to him, he's going to the child, and it's a hopeful note. So even though evidence is scant in the Bible, I think it's verses like these in conjunction with God's character being most merciful and the common interpretation and understanding from church, the church, church history, this has been the conclusion they've drawn, reveals that infants do go to heaven. It seems like the Bible assumes that the, that's the case. But with that aside out of the way, the, the point is that to have it all and not be satisfied is one's in one's soul is one of the worst things that can happen. It's worse than having uh, entered this world and not experienced any of it, like with the stillborn. We see in verse 6, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. So even though this man should have the longest life ever, it's better with a stillborn who had no was came into this world but had no life. The long living man has lived in this vain world to the fullest, but finds no satisfaction. It is better to have not experienced it than to have experienced it and not be satisfied. For all go to the same place, he says, which is uh, not talking about the afterlife, but rather the grave. I'll end up dying. I'll end up returning to the dust, going back to the ground. Better to come and never ex- have experienced it than to experience it maximally without satisfaction. And this reveals two things. First, satisfaction or contentment is a gift from God. As our verse says, say, God did not give him enjoyment. God's the one that gives power to enjoy until we need to seek it from Him. And second, contentment is not tied to how many earthly blessings you have. This man had it all, and yet his soul was not satisfied, it says. His soul lacked contentment. Something else has to happen or be given in order for us to have contentment. And that is something that God gives power to enjoy it that we must seek from God. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians? I have learned to be content in plenty or in want. You notice that, I think we think, well, yeah, I learned to be content in want. I get that. But he had to learn to be content in plenty. When you have plenty, you still need to learn to be content. That is a gift that comes from God. We seek Him for it. We apply His grace in learning contentment even in Plenty. More stuff or different stuff will not ultimately satisfy or bring contentment. And this brings us to the second area that really is nothing without contentment. It's more of an illustration, and that is the appetite. So now he's using man's appetite to reveal uh, really this lack of contentment that man has. Verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, 
yet his appetite is not satisfied. So why does man spend so many hours working? Well, it's as we say, right? To put food on the table. It's to provide to have our needs met. But in a sense, are our needs ever fully met? In a sense? Is there ever a time in our life where we say, I no longer need to buy food. I no longer need food. Yeah, when we're dying. But outside of that, no. Even with having a lot of food and the best food. You know, one of my favorite restaurants is Famous Dave's. I love Famous Dave's. I love Ribbon Chop too. There's a lot of restaurants I like. But I, I love Famous Dave's. I look forward to a meal there. I haven't had a special occasion. I, it's been a while since, since we've been. But when I go there, I come in starving because I know I'm going to eat enough food for two days. The baby back ribs, the corn, and the cob. and Oh, it's so good. And afterwards, I'm quite satisfied. And I sit there, you know, with, with a full belly, and I think, I'm never going to have to eat again. But the next day, something really strange happens to me. It's called hunger. I get hungry again, even after such a big meal. I may not be hungry for breakfast, but by lunchtime, I'm, I'm hungry again. And so I eat again. The appetite's never satisfied. I mean, even as you're sitting here hearing me talk about famous Dave's, your stomach's probably growling now. But then I need a paycheck to pay for the food I eat, which requires what? Then I need to work. And so we spend all this time working for the purpose of feeding an appetite that never ends up being satisfied. And this leads Solomon to conclude in verse 8, For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? And obviously the wise man has much advantage. Just read the Proverbs, right? And the poor man who behaves himself. There's advantage to that. But when you consider the appetite, all are on an equal playing field. Because both the poor as long as they're getting food, and the rich have an unending appetite that they need to constantly feed. You never ever get ahead in that sense. But this appetite for food illustrates Solomon's point in verse 9. This is where he's going with it. It says in verse 9, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So given the nature of the appetite, is never satisfied ultimately, no matter how hard you work. Solomon says that better is the sight of the eyes. What this sight of the eyes refers to is the things that you see right in front of you, rather than this wandering appetite that's desiring all this stuff that you don't have, that's not right in front of you. He's saying be satisfied with what you have rather than desiring more. A wandering appetite. Because just like the stomach for food, the appetite of the heart will never be satisfied no matter how hard you work to try to fulfill it until you are content with what you have, with what your eyes see right before you. Contentment comes not by thinking that one's appetite will be fulfilled if you just had one more thing, if I just had that one thing that I don't have that's not before my eyes. Rather, it comes by being content with what is in front of you if you have all your needs met. Besides this, there is nothing out there in the world that's going to finally satisfy. And this brings us to the third area. That is nothing without 
contentment. And I just titled this Life. There's nothing out there that's going to be the key to giving you contentment that you don't already have. Verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. So what Solomon is saying is that there's nothing more out there that hasn't yet been discovered that's going to be the key to giving you contentment. It's already been identified and named. It's like Adam naming all those animals. Well, they've already been named, and there's, there's nothing that's going to come that hasn't already been named. The same is true about the blessings, possessions, and desires of life. All have already been experienced, tried, identified, and named. Solomon even says that earlier on in Ecclesiastes. I've tried it all. There's nothing out there. There's no key or secret that man has not yet discovered. You're not going to discover anything new under the sun that's going to be that final satisfaction that you don't already have in front of you. And so since there is nothing more to discover, man might quarrel with his maker for something else. Give us more. Create something else. Well, that's not going to happen because it's already known what man is. He's a mere creature. Just clay. He cannot override or overpower what God has done. He can never become the creator or in his position and create something new. He is not able to dispute with his maker who is infinitely stronger than he. But there, there has to be an answer out there to find satisfaction, right? Well, verse 11. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? And so in the context, what he's saying is, man may accumulate many words, may name many things, man may claim to have discovered the secret to overcome his vain life, if you will just listen to what I have to say, my words. We hear that all the time. But it's still vain and to no advantage to man. As Solomon goes on to say in verse 12, for who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his life which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Man may have many words on the matter, but it's all vain. Who can be an expert in this area? All men's experience are only vanity, and it's a very short time. He passes like a shadow. He doesn't have enough experience to be a, a vet. He's just a novice in this vain life. He can't say what's good for him. Not even Solomon, the wisest man on the, the earth. All you could say is vanity of vanities. All is vanity. You may say, okay, well what about the next life? Maybe someone can enlighten us on this and give us some hope. Solomon says, who can tell us what will be after him? Under the sun. So again, this is what Ecclesiastes does. We're left with no answers, no solutions, just vain words about vanity. It just says life is vanity. And what Ecclesiastes is doing is it's causing us to long for the answers. What it's doing, it's it's causing us to long for the rest of the Bible, really, that explains those answers. It's causing us to long. For a man who is an expert in this area. Is there such a man? Well, of course there is. 
there is someone who not only can give us the answer, but who himself is the answer. He is the only solution to this vain life where we can't get no satisfaction. Only some of you will know that reference. He delivered us from this vain curse by becoming a curse for us. And He earned us a place in the realm above the sun, out from under the sun, by His perfect life of obedience to the law. Because it was required that the law be fulfilled perfectly for man to inherit eternal life. Life above the sun. Life apart from the curse. But only one man has done that, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ, and He did it for us. And we rest in Him for that. And by Him becoming a curse for us, we are forever delivered from this vain curse of a life. And so yes, we are a shadow, but we are moving to a place, we who believe, that is eternal. That is truly eternal satisfying. Our Lord Jesus brings us to the One for whom we were made and without whom we will never be satisfied. We can have this whole world and lose our soul. That is the greatest vanity for we were made for God. The issue with the lack of contentment and satisfaction is that we look to the things of this world ultimately rather than to the Creator for whom we were made. So how are we ultimately satisfied and content? It is by knowing Him. It is by growing in our knowledge of Him. It is by seeing His glory through the eyes of faith. Knowing His love. Knowing His goodness. Knowing Him. And this is why Jesus said that eternal life is this. Eternal life is true, everlasting, satisfying life. It's to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. May the Lord give us the faith to see His glory, to be truly satisfied with it, and therefore to be content whether with plenty or in want. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that You would give us contentment in our souls through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to know Him. Help us to see His glory. To know His love. That we may be satisfied with Him. For as Psalm 63 says, because Your love is better than life, my lips will praise You. May this be true of us, O Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to TBC Wyoming. Dot com. That is tbcwyoming.com.